Five-hour tea with caffeine from green tea leaves. It's delicious, energizing, and comes in three amazing flavors. With zero sugar and four calories, it fits your life. With its compact size and portability, it goes where you go. To the campsite, the hiking trail, the beach, without weighing you down. Five-hour tea. Caffeine from green tea leaves. Release your natural sight. From the makers of Five-Hour Energy. For more information, visit fivehourenergy.com. Hello, um, just a little content warning for this episode. Uh, we do cover themes of drug and alcohol abuse, domestic violence and sexual assault. So just so you know. Okay, thanks. Hey, I'm Alan McGuire. And this is Juvenalia, a podcast where we talk to an interesting person about a bit of pop culture that was important to them when they were young. Our guest today is the CEO of Analyphy, Tony Duffin. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on the show. It's, it's fantastic to be yeah, here. Yeah, hi, Tony. You're very hi. welcome. Thanks. You're going to talk to us about um, the Pogues, the old main drag, and like being in London yeah. under Irish in the 80s. Yeah, absolutely. So, so yeah. you were there, obviously. So yeah. Like, so was... uh, so to to kick off, I guess I was born in 1970. I'm mm-hmm. older now. <laughs> uh, I was going to say I was old. Um, and uh, and I guess uh, this sort of piece, this piece of narrative, this part of my life is is around the 80s. Uh, so my my kind of formative years, my teenage years, where where um, living in London, um, you know, or, or in the UK. Um, was you know Margaret Thatcher was in power, okay? We'd had the Falklands War in in, in 1982. Um, the miners' strike uh, was 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 during that period. There was a lot of unrest. There was a lot of, there was a lot of civil unrest uh, with regards to the miners' strike. Um, and it was a lot. And it was a lot of. You know, it was very you know very clearly. It was you know politics back then was was was, was left and right. You know there wasn't mm. much. It wasn't centralist or anything. Um, and uh, and I guess you know you 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 identified uh, that way. You know one way or the other. Mm. Um, and, and I very much de- identified myself with the left side uh, uh, of the house. Mm. Um, and I guess uh, during during the seventies you had punk rock. Um, and uh, I, re- I, I am a big fan of punk rock, and um, I guess I was kind of disappointed that I missed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that 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 I was only uh, you know seven years old in, in 1977, mm-hmm. so I wasn't wearing safety pins and stuff. You know, no. I was, yeah. I was you weren't allowed going to gigs. Obviously, I, I was not allowed to go to gigs. No. And he's spitting you on people was purely. Recreational, as wasn't a because ch- you were a child. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was too young for it, and 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 I kind of, I kind of felt like I'd missed that scene. Um, that that all the good stuff had been and gone. Um, when in my, you know, in my, in my I'm talking about sort of 13, 14, 15 years of age, and um, and the Sex Pistols were gone, the Clash had uh, disbanded. Uh, you know, and and so many other bands had had come and gone. There was a few still around. You could go and see them. Stiff Little Fingers were still touring that mm-hmm. kind of thing. So, uh, so we, so I, so I could go, you know, and see those bands when I got to about the age of like sixteen. But, but um, I guess uh, one of the one of the things was that I, my parents are from Wexford. Uh, uh, Anne and Stephen, they live down in Wexford now. Actually, they, they, they've come back over. But, but um, they had uh, they they read myself, my sister, and my brother in London. So we were very much. Um, members, my mum and dad were, were members of the Irish di- diaspora. They had mum had come over when she was uh, sixteen, and dad had come over when he was twelve. 
Um, and we were very much members of the London Irish community. We identified very strongly with being Irish, and that's mm. not unusual for second generation, uh, people of second generation extraction from, from any any uh, country and culture, but particularly the Irish. Um, so there was a strong sort of sense of identity around being Irish in London. And, um, and I guess it, it, it just... It was difficult to be Irish in London mm-hmm. back in the 80s, okay? Um, we still had the troubles in Northern Ireland. We had bombs going off over in, 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 in different parts of the, the UK. Um, and uh, and it, I suppose it wasn't cool to be Irish, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, it was quite... You'd, you'd, had, you'd had no dogs, no blacks, no Irish in the 60s and early 70s. We'd come out of that a little bit. I had a London accent, so I was fine, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I was white with a London accent, so in many ways I was fine, even though I felt like I was Irish, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, you could kind of pass. You, in, could, you could get yeah. away with it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, but then, you know, around 1982, this, this band began to emerge. You could hear them on John Peel radio show, uh, the, this band called Pogue Mahone. Um, and, and, you know, for people that I started to really get into them around, around listening to them around that time, but then really getting into them around sort of 83, 84, uh, when I was in my teenage years, uh, you know, at 13, 14. Um, and, and the Pogues made it cool to be Irish, in, 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 particularly in London, you know. Uh, and that was great. So we we dress up in our Crombie coats and we put on our uh, our, our, our black jeans and our, I'm trying to think of the name of the shoes we used to wear. Anyway, like but anyway, like we, there was a there was a particular there was a particular look, um, probably yeah, pre hipster. Yeah, post, and it was definitely p- post punk. You know, yeah, yeah. And that was purely like a Pogues influenced look. Oh yeah, you, you oh like yeah. Now, now there were other bands around. Yeah. There were other bands around. So there was bands like the Men They Couldn't Hang. There was a band called the Shillelagh Sisters, and mm-hmm. uh, and there was all these other sort of that didn't reach the, the kind of success that the Pogues mm-hmm. would go on to do. But they were around. So it was a kind of uh, a, a, a folk punk uh, scene. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. Like a um, like a, a mini scene within the larger London music scene. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. 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 And and you know we know that now. Every, you know, if you know anything about the Pogues, you know that they fused punk rock with Irish music, you mm-hmm. know, traditional Irish music, and it was very appealing to the London Irish. You know, it was mm-hmm. very appealing to my brother and my sister and myself, and and by extension our friends mm-hmm. who had also you know I had a lot of friends who whose parents were Irish and, and they were London Irish too, um, and we would. We would go on to to go to gigs regularly and all that sort of thing, which brings me on to my first gig, which I, I brought my my ticket stub with me. There's my, mm-hmm. my prop oh, wow. for today. That's the, the I went to see I went to see the Pogues for the first time in 1986. I'm going to jump around a bit yeah. timeline. Mm-hmm. Oh, totally. Sorry, yeah. but um, but but you know, just as I'm talking about it, like my first gig was in uh, the Hammersmith Palais. Uh, on the seventeenth of March in nineteen eighty six, and I went oh, to see. Day. <laughs> yeah, went to see. I went to see the the the, the Pogues on St Patrick's Night, and uh, went along. Right, I was sixteen years old. I went with my brother, who was eighteen, um, and uh, it was a big deal. All right, so I went across mm-hmm. town from South East London up to Hammersmith, um, and uh, we we went in, and it was just an incredible experience. There was the the, the Pogues were at the height of their power. You know, they were. They were full of energy. Yes, they, they were, there was a lot of drink involved and other substances, no doubt. But 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 you know they were full. They were young and they were full of energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and every band that came after them that that, that you know would re- go on to sort of emulate them. You couldn't beat them mm-hmm. for, for for the energy they had when mm-hmm. in that period. And um, and there was young and old there. So there was everyone from you know there was there was, there was grandmothers there and and there was sixteen year olds there like me and mm-hmm. and probably even younger for all I know. But it was it was one of those one of those moments in your life where you were just like a, 
biblical experience. Yeah. You know, you're like, yeah. Whoa. and um, wasn't like a, a mostly a London Irish crowd there? You think? Or? Yeah, I think no. I think there was an Irish crowd there. You know, mm. like and 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 you know, the, the thing about being London Irish was that, that you were very close to the generation above you. You know, you, you and and you were very uh, that that you had you had a shared culture and and you were very close. So so yeah, you'd be in with with people from all over Ireland mm. that were living in London, but also with the the the, the, the London Irish with their with their Cockney accents and yeah. moving around. But but you know, all together, you know, um, and and you know, uh, and other people, other other people from other extractions were there because the music, you know, crossed barriers and stuff. Mm-hmm. And and I think that you know, from my experience of the Pogues, that's that's what that's what they wanted too. They didn't want any racism or any kind of mm. exclusivity. I mean, I used to go to see them uh, later on, a little bit later on, probably around eighty eight, uh, and and they would they would play with the specials. Um, uh, I'd go to gigs where the specials would be playing. Mm. Uh, opening for them then the pogues would come on joe strummer from the clash would come out and the oh. backing band and the backing band doing the brass section uh were, were, were the specials you know uh i i didn't realize how how truly special it was or how yeah, important yeah. it was uh, i was so just jealous. enjoying myself i was up i was up the front uh yeah. jumping around uh but but I, I knew it was good but mm. when i look back on it it was like bloody hell so Mm. So look, there was this, there was this, uh, there was this close knit community of different types of punk rock, ska, uh, traditional Irish was all going on in London. It was very, very vibrant. Um, but to to bring you back to to I suppose to to the Pogues and 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 uh, and the impact that it had on me, I guess I was thinking about you know um, the 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 album. So you had the you had the first album, nineteen eighty four, Red Roses for me. Um, I, I was well into them by then. I was fourteen years old. And then the next uh, the, the next one uh, that came out was Rum Sodomy and the Lash, uh, which, as I say, I've brought along today. I bought this album in nineteen eighty five, this actual album, uh, and played it and played it and played it and played it in my bedroom. Uh, my parents going mad at me to turn it down. <laughs> um, and uh, and every every song on it is is a is a is a classic, right? It's just an amazing album. But uh, but the one album, the one song on the album uh, that really sort of struck home to me was a song called "The Old Main Drag," which I suppose this is what I want to talk to you about mm-hmm. today. This one particular song. Um, but but just to say to you that, that again that that this particular album was 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 a was a was a big deal. It was very successful. It was eighty five. As I say, the Pogues were at the height of their power, um, and. Uh, and and they were going to go on to to great things, and then they were going to have difficult years as well later yeah. on, and all that sort of thing. Um, but uh, if anyone knows, you know, if you know anything about music, you know that the the, the second album, uh, you know, you come out with the first album, and it's a it's a solid yeah, one, anyway, and, and that's what great. makes you famous or uh, gets you gets your uh, your following up and running. What's the second album going to be yeah, like? Yeah. And this so one, have... this one was. This, this to me yeah. is is the best album. Say so about know. eighteen years write your first album, and eighteen months write your second one. That's right, so. and and this oh, one. Oh, that's very scary. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, the next one didn't come out till nineteen eighty nine. After this, um, oh, so okay. another four years. And yeah. if I could fall from grace with God, and it was a good, it was a good album. It was a great album because yeah. opposed went like Shane McGowan could could knock out those those songs uh, so well in this period. You know, mm-hmm. it was it was a height of his powers, as I keep saying. But. Um, but I guess, um, yeah, no, this 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 one was was the one. Um, oh, Elvis Costello uh, produced it. Um, and uh, Elvis Costello being so prolific in himself, you know. In oh terms yeah, of, yeah. In he terms just of his did own. everything. Yeah, yeah. Like, like you go to his gigs now, and he's got that big wheel, and he spins it, and whatever one it goes on to, they just play, and it's got oh, yeah. like I don't know sixty or so songs. Oh my it's god, it's amazing! That's like so he's, cool. he's a, he's a, <laughs> the man's a genius. But uh, but back then, you know, he was he was he was working with the Pogues, and he's he's uh, he's I'm pretty sure in saying that he, he's obviously got a, 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 a parentage that, uh, that are Irish. I, be, I think that's right. I, I think, think so. Yeah yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I mean, I think there was a kind of synergy there, and and they they all worked together. But that's what that that was the producer, and you had the the, the classic lineup back then. You know. 
you had uh, Cotter Reid and um, you had... Um, uh, sorry, you had Andrew Rankin, James Fernley, Jem Finer, Spider Stacey, Shane McGowan. You know, the, 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 the absolute classic lineup. So it was a really good one. But uh, do you want me to talk about the the, the old main drag? Yeah, Absolutely. why this yeah. song in particular? Mm. Okay, well it's it's about it's about um, it's about a sixteen year old boy who goes to London. He leaves his home and he goes to London and he becomes. Um, a sex worker he becomes a rent boy mm-hmm. and uh and and the the, the content you know, the the way the song is written it's so accurate in terms of some people's experience on the streets of london mm-hmm. you, you know or or any city i suppose or you know if they if that happens to them uh it's it's re- it's very real you know and um i guess i was 15 when this album came out this was about this was about so removed from my life, you know. Like, yeah, I mean, was like, your childhood generally quite? Um, I mean, because the song it does have a lot of hardship and mm. loneliness and stuff in it. But you were saying you had like your siblings and your family, and you were. Yeah, yeah. I think you know. I had I had a very uh, loving home, a good mm. home, and uh, and this was just different. But but I guess what had happened was, I guess I was uh, I, I knew a lot of people or saw a lot of people on the streets of London, sleeping rough, your archetypal sort of rough sleeper with a beard and a couple of, like a few crombie coats over them to keep them warm and Mm -hmm. sleeping in the streets and drinking a lot. Uh, And many of those people were Irish, you know, not all of them, but Mm -hmm. but many of them were Irish. And uh, and I guess it was... It, it it resonated with me, you know. Um, I remember going down that that I think it was the same year, eighty five. I went down to my cousin's wedding in in, in Westminster Cathedral. There were parishioners there, and um, I, I was I was outside on the piazza. I was fifteen years old. I was with my family. It was all extended family and all that. And there were people sleeping rough mm-hmm. over here. And uh, and I went over to talk to them, you know. I went over to talk to mm-hmm. them and chat to them. Little did I know my mother was watching and keeping an eye on me, see what was going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she only mentioned it the other year. She sort of said to me, uh, "I know when you got into this. It was that. It was that time we were on the piazza." And uh, like <laughs> now, th- there was no career path of what I went on to do. You know, mm-hmm. like it just it, like it's all upon reflection. You know, looking yeah, back yeah. over it. Mm-hmm. But but so so this song resonated with me because I suppose because it was a morbid interest you know in in, in that kind of side of things and it was mm-hmm. it was it, you know it was some sort of fascination with with um with, with and I mean that in a really positive way in terms of trying what want how can I help how does you know? someone get from being 16 to where you would see them sleeping rough like what what yeah, the path is yeah. yeah and interestingly you know like we were talking earlier about about what it was like in the 80s and and in uh, around 87 um, Margaret Thatcher's government decided to change housing benefit laws, right? And overnight, literally, like from like from a Friday to a Monday, uh, uh, people who were under the age uh, between uh, the age of sixteen and eighteen were put out onto the streets by by many many landlords and things, mm. uh, and and ended up sleeping rough. We had a massive ho- youth homelessness problem. Yeah. Um, and and and, I, and you know I was seventeen that, when that happened, so mm. I, I could see people walking around uh, when I was walking around London. I could see that there was an increase, and I when I went on into my career I knew people who were responding to that and getting people in so mm-hmm. you know uh it was a big big problem and as we know now in in Dublin and in other and in back in London um you yeah. know we have a big problem with um homelessness and drugs and all mm-hmm. sorts of things and all you know and all sorts of social and health problems that are associated with that so um things were still bad back then and uh and and you know in the mid 80s I'll go on to talk about harm harm reduction mm-hmm. again but 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 you know Harm reduction 
was only uh, be, be emerging as an idea. You know, mm. the reason harm reduction ca came out uh, 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 around that time was of uh, the um, HIV/AIDS uh, uh, epidemic, mm. the crisis, and uh, and people uh, people had to work out how they were going to keep people as safe as possible uh, and to try to uh, avoid transmission, uh, you know, of bloodborne viruses. So so um, so harm reduction didn't even really. It was only emerging then. It was a, it was a very very uh, niche sort of way of working. Um, so I, I I had no notion of these things. As I say, there was no career path. Um, I was only going to learn that that stuff later. So I guess back back to this. So this in this song, what you have is is this young man, uh, young boy uh, mm -hmm. turning up in London, going down to a place called the Old Main Drag, which is which was Piccadilly Circus. That, that's what it was. Oh, it was yeah. oh it really? Was, yeah, like every, like. If you worked in the field, and I'm sure many people in London realised that that that's where people went, you know, to to pick up mm -hmm. rent boys and, mm -hmm. and sex workers and uh, and such, and paid them for their services. That's that's that was a that was a commonly known thing. Um, but you know, the I, I'd never actually I'd never heard it called the Elman Drag until this song that mm -hmm. came along, um, and and that's that's that that's what happened to this 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 uh, character in the song ends up going down um, and mixing with with people um having to sort of take things like uh tuanol uh, which was a barbiturate two mm -hmm. barbiturates together um and a uh, kind of sedative medication to keep people uh you know people coping with a very difficult lifestyle you know like like uh, traumatic um uh, things were happening to them um and uh and that's how people and and you know uh, barbiturates were clamped down upon and 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 uh, tuanol uh, was 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 sort of um you know uh, stronger regulation was put into place, but then now we have benzodiazepines yeah. and mm -hmm. other drugs like like uh, pregabalin. So it hasn't gone away. We mm -hmm. you know we, we stop one thing. New and names. People yeah. people uh, take drugs because they're trying to you know some some people because it's a recreational thing mm -hmm. and it's uh, it, it's it's and other people take it because of their, their their the trauma they've experienced or the addiction that they 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 have and the mm -hmm. compulsion to take. So when you're in that lifestyle, right? That's the reason you're taking them. You're taking them for fun, right? No, you're taking coping. them to escape. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so that was my first sort of time I'd heard, you know, this, about this idea of drug taking to cope and things like this. And of course, as I said, I knew I knew about uh, drinking. You know, I knew about uh, people yeah. drinking in the streets. It was obvious. Mm -hmm. You could see it. You could see people drinking in the streets. So you knew about, but you didn't realise that actually there was also other drug use going on. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'd obviously, you know, go on to learn more about that in my in my own career. But um, but yeah, so so that, that so that was a kind of, it's kind of educational, you know, in a strange way about about what it was like on the streets. Shane McGann done such a great job in 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 narrating this young young man's experience that that you started to really learn about things. And it talks about you know one of the lines, which is you know, and I'm sorry, you know, you know, but it it says you know I've been shat on and spat on and raped and abused mm -hmm. and you know those things do happen to people you know yeah. they, 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 people really do uh have terrible lifestyles uh or, or experiences uh on the streets you know um and again it was like it was like holding a mirror up to something that was going on that that mm -hmm. that you know we didn't have internet you know back then obviously yeah. in mm -hmm. 1985 um and and the way you learnt about things was was either on the tv or through popular culture mm -hmm. uh so this was like really raw and really telling me you know what and, and anyone else that was listening was interested in listening to it you know what it was like on the streets you know what I find really uh, affecting about the song is that the lyrics are very simple and he's just talking about it like it's mm. his day to day and uh, that he's used to it. And that just made me really sad and it made me 
kind of think about the problem that we have here in Dublin as well and the people that that's just their commonplace existence. That's what they go through every day, you know? Yeah, it's really hard. I mean, on the way over here today, you know, there's it's pouring with rain out there and, mm-hmm. and, and there's there's I saw one old woman lying in a sleeping bag, you know. Mm-hmm. Um uh, I, I saw many other sleeping bags uh, around the place, tents. Um so we know, we know look, we know. We know yeah. that, that mm-hmm. the we know uh, through um, news and such, um, that that there's a, and, and and marches and things, there's a, mm-hmm. there's a groundswell in terms of people being very angry about that situation. Um, but I mean, you know, my focus has always been, what are we going to do about it? You know, yeah. what are we going to do about it? Mm-hmm. And you know, just to say, the obvious thing around homelessness is you need to give people homes, mm. and uh, uh, not just uh, a roof over their head. You need them somewhere that they can shut the door and 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 feel at home. Uh, and then, you know, if you've got people who have um, who have been homeless uh, on the streets or in hostels or, or living in hotels, you need to give them the support to learn to manage, you know. So, mm-hmm. so you know, all that stuff would come later from, 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 my, from mm-hmm. my understanding of things. But, th- you know, even going back to this this song and, and looking there, there's, there's one of the lines towards the end is, for some money to take me from the old main drag. The, the desire to get away from that mm-hmm. lifestyle, although you're trapped. Um, and, and you can become sort of institutionalized uh, into homelessness, institutionalism without walls. You know, you, you, you get into habits and, and, and you have your pals. And mm-hmm. I, I'd, I'd resettled people in the, uh, personally sort of resettled people through my work um, in, in, in London in the 90s who were street homeless drinkers. I'd, I'd done a job in, I was working in, in, in the Passage Day Centre in London and, uh, you know, my job was to go and and scoop people up off the floor, metaphorically speaking, mm-hmm. and take them and assess them and get them housing and bring them. And you do all that and you'd, you, you'd get them in there. But they were so entrenched in rough sleeping for many, many years that many of the people would, would, would you know, you'd, I'd go into the a, a nice size apartment, nice bedroom, toilet, bathroom, you know, living area, and the corner of the living area would look like a little bit of the street they used to live in, you know, mm. and the rest of the house was untouched. Sometimes they'd have people back who who would who would um, sort of um, abuse the situation, you know, so they, their tenancy would be. So I suppose I'm telling you all that because people just couldn't cope without that kind of extra help and 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 that that, that resettlement and that period. So, you know, people do become entrenched. Uh, into rough sleeping, they, 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 um, uh, and this particular song is 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 a, is about that lifestyle, sleeping rough, yeah, working as a sex worker, um, the the hidings that you get um, when when you're out and about, and mm. um, you know, it, as as horrible as it sounds, you know, I, I've known people who uh, have had a, a a good beating in the street, and uh, and you know, you'd patch them up and you'd look after them. And you see them the next day, and I had another one. People see vulnerability, and and they they they, they just mm-hmm. attack again. So you know, it's a very ruthless environment, and and I think that this song, um, this song really encaptured it, uh, encapsulated <coughs> it, and uh, and 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 when I, upon reflection, uh, certainly was something that I would go back to again and again uh, as a, as a song that I like mm-hmm. and enjoy the the, you know, the the music and the narrative in terms of the why I wanted to help people, you know. Um, because it sort of really did hold up that mirror to what was going on. Mm-hmm. So when did you um, make the connection between the song and the work that you do? Mm. And maybe you could tell us a bit about yeah, okay. where you started. Yeah, what was your path yeah. from there? 
Oh, okay. So, so, so I, um, so, so all that had happened uh, with the song, uh, mm. and then I went on to do um, photography. Actually, I wanted to be a photographer, and uh, uh, and and I managed to to, to work in photography in uh, in Christie's auction house in London, taking photographs of fine art and stuff oh. like that. Uh, and I did that for a few years, and then I got made redundant. You know, it was normal. You know, I was young. I was last in, first out, mm -hmm. um, and. Uh, and there was a recession, you know, uh, around those uh, 91, 92 recession. Uh, and I found myself unemployed, um, living at home with my parents and, and sort of wanting to do do something. But there was no work. Like, it was everyone, was, many people were in the same position. And um, and so uh, one night um, I was talking to my friend Pete and uh, uh, in the pub, and uh, be honest with you, and, uh, <laughs> and he said he said that he was going to go and do some volunteerism. With, uh, with 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 a charity uh, uh, that works with homeless people, and uh, and it just it just resonated. I was like, okay, I'm going to do that as well, <laughs> you know, and because uh, it really you know it really appealed to me. Mm. Uh, and I went on to and I went on to do that, um, and I went to uh, I went to um, uh, volunteer on a Sunday evening every every uh, every, every week uh, in a in a hostel a night shelter called Centerpoint. Uh, in it was on Dean Street. Uh, it's gone. It's not there now. There's another. There's another Centre Point service there now. Another innovative se uh, service there now. But it was. It was a host. It was a night shelter for around, around seventeen people, I think, um, uh, and they were aged between eighteen and twenty-five. Um, so this was nineteen ninety-three, uh, uh, around that time. So my age group. Mm -hmm. You know, I was twenty-three. Right. So I was working with people who. Um, who who had had that different experience, you know, that, yeah. that, that we're talking about here, um, and I went along, and you know, I didn't know what to expect, um, but it made a lot of sense. You know, we 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 worked really hard to uh, get people in who were sex workers, who were street who were sleeping rough, um, who had addiction issues, mental health issues, and it was really challenging. Uh, but it was a harm reduction approach. It was like get them in. So one night, for example. Uh, a young woman was 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 came to the door and was sort of banging on the door uh, to get in. We, we weren't we weren't quite open, uh, but we went out and uh, and she was there and she was screaming. And she was saying, "He's going to kill me! He's going to kill me!" So as we were talking, this boyfriend of hers came along, and uh, and uh, we 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 grabbed her and he grabbed her and we 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 pulled her in. You know, mm -hmm. we 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 pulled her in, and we slammed the door shut. And he tried to kick the door in, and he tried to get in, and we, we, you know, we, we, thankfully the door kept, uh, didn't, didn't break, and he probably realised that, you know, we'd be calling the police, and, mm. and, uh, and even the noise he was making was going to call that the police were going to come, and we sat down with her and we worked out, and he was he, like, he was her pimp, he was her boyfriend, you know, um, and we, we sat with her and we patched her up and we got her a cup of tea and we sat there, and about an hour later, she said. Um, she said she wanted to go back out to him, and we tried to encourage her not to. Uh, and as mad as it might seem, she told us she loved, she loved him, and uh, we couldn't stop her. Right? Mm. And 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 she went out. And uh, you know that that was kind of the end of that story, uh, except that about the next time I was in a week later, he came in, you know, and uh, and he needed us, and we took him in, and we looked after him, and we patched him up, mm. and he stayed there, and that's what it is to be non-judgmental, you mm. know. Um, we we did we had made a referral during the week. We had got her into another hostel away from there, uh, and he hadn't he, he didn't he wasn't he, he didn't know where she was. Mm. Um, but he was vulnerable too, you know. 
he had had a difficult time when he was a young man, a mm-hmm. uh, young boy, and uh, and he needed looking after too. And that's you know that's what it is to be non-judgmental, to be open access in terms mm-hmm. of in terms of working with anybody as they present to you. And then the harm reduction side of things is you know making sure that people are as safe as possible, particularly when you talk about drugs in their active drug use mm-hmm. and keeping them alive and well. Um, to, to to because you can't. Uh, rehabilitate someone who's dead, you know, and and you know, and if somebody uh, has got, you know, uh, has, has has contracted hepatitis C and HIV and 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 vein damage and all these things, it's very difficult to motivate someone. You know, they, they don't see the point mm-hmm. anymore and all that. Mm-hmm. So you really got to try and keep them as healthy as possible and alive and well, and then you can. You can do, you can, you know, and and there's still, don't get me wrong, like we're not bleeding hearts. Like there's, you got to challenge people too, mm. um, and you got to put it up to them. You know, you got to hold that mirror up to them, uh, and work, and but work with them. You know, mm. and uh, and that's the value of that work. And I learned that in those around around eight months I was there. You know, I, mm. and I sort of acted up into a kind of team leader role, and um, and uh, it was it was it was the it was the kind of the, the, the volunteerism piece, the, the value of volunteerism. The, the harm reduction, the low threshold nature of the service just resonated with me. And mm. that and I knew that's what I was going to stick to. Yeah. Even when my colleagues, my friends in London were sort of talking about how they were going to become counsellors and how they were going to do other things. And I, I just I wanted to work in this. Mm. But I did want to go on up up the line. I did want to sort of manage things and 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 design services and lead services is what which is what I went on to do and, and I'm very proud of it. But but um and and when I say not just me, my colleagues mm-hmm. and I, you know. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it, it was a really good experience. Then I went on to work in. We had these uh, cold weather shelters that, that that so that was my first sort of paid employment then, mm. and they were they were interesting. You know, uh, three staff with ninety. 90 uh, residents and on when it got really cold it went up to four staff and 120 residents mm-hmm. i spent half the time running after people and half the time running away from people but um <laughs> but uh, it was it was it was really valuable work mm-hmm. you 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 could connect with people the thing about what we do in that low threshold harm reduction philosophy is 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 keeping a um, a relationship alive, you know, mm-hmm. keeping a uh, you know some people would describe it as a kind of trying to keep a therapeutic relationship alive, something that's positive, and uh, and then because uh, if you haven't got a relationship with people, you've got nothing, you know. If someone does want to get help or is feeling motivated, and they they don't know who to turn to, but if they do, but if you've got that relationship, then you can you can uh, you can get in there and you can see what you can do, you know. Mm. So so that's uh, that 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 cold weather work, and then you know. I did that for some time, you know, uh, different, uh, the Passage Day Centre, I was a street street, uh, street drinker's uh, resettlement worker that would, did that for about three and a half years, then went travelling uh, and then and then we moved uh, moved to Ireland, uh, my wife and I, Sarah, we moved to Ireland uh, in July of 2000 and worked here and did different jobs, worked for Dublin Simon Community and worked for what was then known as the, the Homeless Agency, the Dublin Regional Homeless Executive now, mm-hmm. uh, did some really interesting work with um, with them uh, around opening up hostels that that would um, that would take people in who were on drugs, mm-hmm. right? Um, which was which was not done back in two thousand and two, yeah. um, and 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 you know really changed things in that regard and opened up the first sort of wet hostel as well on Angel Street um, where where people were allowed to drink, uh, you know, so they didn't have to drink outside; they could drink mm-hmm. indoors, and that was that was a, a that, that that had a lot of positive outcomes as well, um, and then. 
went into the Analyphy in 2005 mm-hmm. and have been there for 13 years almost. I can't oh. believe it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and just worked with this amazing bunch of people uh, from the board through to the, the, the staff members and the volunteers. Um, it's just an incredible team of people who, who day in, day out, just do some amazing work, one-to-one amazing work with people. So uh, there's a potted history yeah. of my, yeah. my career. And there was no... There was no career path, you know, like yeah. it was it was really about having a, a passion for something, looking for opportunities to to do it, uh, do do what you're trying to achieve. And, and really that sort of dovetailing uh, you know, professionally myself with the Analyphy, uh, mm. particularly uh, and, and others, you know, before that and uh, trying to trying to just progress the, the the low threshold harm reduction it model. does seem to have come along i was going to say like, that th- yeah you think of like like portugal and mm. like it yeah. being included in like like um college information packs and stuff now it's kind of yeah. festivals like, like you had like, your time yeah. for electric picnic. yeah yeah, yeah. No, yeah i mean it's really important i mean people uh, i mentioned it briefly a moment ago you know re- recreational drug use and uh and, and problematic so non-problematic drug use and problematic drug use recreational and let's say addiction or dependency mm. Uh, but it doesn't matter. Like it, 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 what matters is, is that, that, that uh, drug use is a health issue. You take mm-hmm. risks associated to your health, mm-hmm. um, and and it shouldn't be criminalised. Uh, possession of drugs should not be criminalised. Um, it, it 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 hasn't worked. Um, mm. We have more drugs than ever. They are cheap. They are more potent than ever. Ecstasy, MDMA has never been as as potent and as strong as it is now. Heroin is strong. Um, cocaine is back in a big way and and, and is is very pure um, and uh, and has all these uh, risks, these health associated risks. So I think that the, the, there has been a really good discourse in the media recently, mm-hmm. um, and uh, uh, and the narrative has been very strong in terms of harm reduction um, and a health led approach to drug use. Uh, as you say, we went down to uh, the electric picnic. I did a shift there myself. Uh, I did a Saturday morning from eight o'clock to three, and uh, we saw and, and all, we were there all through the weekend. I was just saying that, that was mm-hmm. my my stint. Um, but we really engaged, really positively, uh, treating people like adults, talking to them about you know the, the risks they're taking. We had harm reduction advice there. Uh, we don't have drug checking in Ireland. That's being looked at by the state at the moment, mm-hmm. uh, and we would encourage that. You know. Um, because anything we can do to, to make people safer mm. within our current um, uh, prohibition paradigm, you mm. know, we we um, we should do. You know, uh, we work very closely with the guards as well at Electric Picnic and 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 in Dublin and in Limerick and anywhere we work. Um, you know, because uh, because the guards are often the first responders to you know some anyone who's having difficulty with drugs mm. whether it's an overdose or uh, you know an epi- any other kind of episode. And I think you know they they they. You know, I think the guard, they, they, their job is to protect life and in, and enforce the law. But their job is to protect life, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and we we need to work with them really closely. And I, and I do think that there's a great and improving understanding from the law enforcement side, uh, not just the guards, but the the the, the justice side, mm-hmm. that drug use is a health issue. So I think, but even then, but they are thinking about it in that way, you know, mm-hmm. and 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 not just thinking, but acting and delivering. And that's one of the big things at the moment is is that is that you know it's you know Ireland to me you know has been very progressive we introduced the misuse of drugs act supervised injection facility in mm. two, uh, 2017 uh, the first sort of permissive law uh, around drug use in the history of the state you know mm. that's very very innovative mm. and very progressive uh, but we need to uh, uh, have the first 
service open and Merchants Key are working on that at the moment and we're right behind them. Uh, but we do need to get it open uh, yeah. because mm-hmm. if you're a harm reductionist, it's all about doing stuff, yeah. you know, getting, yeah. getting it open and making people as safe as possible. And right now in Dublin and in other other urban areas of Ireland um, and some rural areas, we've got, we've got um, street-based injecting and, and people at huge risk. So, you know, there has been... Uh, and Ireland is, and just to say to you, Ireland internationally, Ireland is is known for its progressive policy uh, mm. development now. Um, but it is about implementation. So I do think, you know, I do think we will decriminalise drugs in Ireland. I do. Um, and uh, and and uh, what will it look like is the question. And I, mm. and I hope that we do go down the model uh, that that you know that that, that we. That it's similar to the Portuguese experience. We can't just tra- uh, plonk the Portuguese yeah, experience here. You got to yeah. you got to look at it. You know, but but there's elements of that that would work here. You know, yeah. and 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 I and I do think we will. And I think that as a consequence of doing that, we will um, we will see positive outcomes. We will see things like overdose deaths going down mm-hmm. over over the years. You know, mm-hmm. uh, because more people will won't feel as stigmatized and won't feel as worried about coming forward for help, mm. you know, um, and we'll be working in a, in, a, in a kind of healthier approach. I mean, in Portugal, it, it, after 10 to 15 years, they complete, you know, they have destigmatized de- de- drug use mm. and stigmatization is a barrier to yeah. getting help, mm. right? So, I mean, people might sort of, it might sound a kind of a fluffy issue to some people, but it's really important. Yeah, like, completely. Yeah, yeah. Do um, you... Um, yeah. Sorry, do you find that in Ireland more people are um, becoming aware of uh, not using like dehumanizing language and stuff to talking when they're talking yeah, about people with yeah. addiction problems? I, it's you know um, you know you have you have um, you know the, the minister, the current minister, Catherine Byrne, would be quite clear about those things. Ayanna Reardon has is, is very clearly uh, the former minister and senator now senator uh, uh, has come out very clearly. You've got you've got a uh, Ishka um, the. Uh, Service user representative group, uh, very very clear about it, and and citywide and the family support national family support network, Analifi, Merchiki, in the media saying, look, you know, the word junkie is inappropriate. Mm-hmm. You know, why do we call people zombies? You know, yeah. like all this, it's all dehumanising, so that we can, I don't know, somehow justify what we're doing. You know, mm-hmm. that these people are less than human. Um, and of course, you know, through my work, you know, I know people. Drug use is only one part of their life. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, it's a very problematic part of their life for many people, not for everybody, but for many people, um, and has negative consequences. But there's some, you know, if you go to the drop-in uh, on Abbey Street and uh, and sit in with people as I did um, the other the other Thursday last, there's there's some good laughs as well. Mm-hmm. You know, people have some funny stories. Dubliners can tell you some funny stories. Mm-hmm. You know, so you know they're humans. You know, and yeah. and and we need to remember that. And you know. When you walk down the street and and you and and you see people who young men you know quite often uh, not always but young men quite often who are who are walking along and they're on crutches um, that's not a sporting injury it may be but it but the people that I'm thinking of mm. they've probably got an abscess in their groin it's hugely painful um, they're getting treatment for it um, and they're not well right. Mm. Um, and maybe that same person has HIV maybe they don't maybe they have hepatitis C maybe they don't but but but. But you know what I mean? They're, they're sick. They're, they're in, in, as in, not, not, you know, I mean that in, in a, they're unwell, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Physically unwell. We wouldn't talk about other people who were sick like that um, in a derogatory way, you know, mm-hmm. but because that they're dehumanized and because uh, the people are, 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 are seen as drug users, uh, somehow we're, we're allowed to do that. It's not okay, you know? No. Um, 
yeah, there's some serious health issues. And no, it isn't like down to choice and such. People like, yeah, people do choose to take drugs. Mm-hmm. But when you're when you're talking about the level of, of, of problematic drug use, the choice is not is not there. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's a compulsive behavior. Um, and uh, and and they can't stop. Uh, and and many people are using opiates, for example, to cope with the pain that they're in, both physically and mentally and, and psychologically. So you know, uh, we need to remember all that. And uh, and and we we need to. Uh, I think that when we do decriminalise drugs in Ireland, uh, we will see it'll be the biggest thing that that will be able to to destigmatise drug use. That people will not see someone who's a criminal. They will see someone, uh, and and this this is this is evidenced in Portugal. Um, uh, they will see someone uh, who has a health issue and is in need, uh, and then therefore, you know, we can all reach out and help them. Do you know? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And songs like the Old Main Drag do help with that because they yeah. they give a voice to these people who tend to not have yes, voices. Yeah. To come back to it, you yeah. know, you, you know, it it does humanise people, you know, and uh, and does you know explain uh, why how this then older man mm-hmm. who's lying in the street got to where he was and mm-hmm. all the terrible things that happened to him. Like I've worked with people over the years who would be, you know, looked down the nose or through, but people look down the nose at. Um, but I know that the, that person has been through the redress board. And if you've been through the redress board, right, you have been sexually abused by by either by by by, by either a priest or, or or a social worker or whatever it might be, uh, and and you've experienced an extreme trauma in your childhood. And that's why he's using drugs, right? Mm. Uh, and then you say, you know, people will say to me, "Well, you know, well, that happened to me, and I don't take drugs." But some, more often than not, when I when I talk to people who are unfortunately in that situation, there's other there's other uh, behaviours that are associated, you know, mm-hmm. negative behaviours that, that 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 emerge because trauma is is debilitating. You know? I think as well, a lot of people think that when, like you said, people are choosing to take drugs and stuff, they, they're totally discounting the societal level where mm. people are born into different social classes, people are born with different amounts of income, different family makeups, and they sort of assume that everyone starts out on the same footing in life and they kind of discount any other issues that other people might be having. Yeah, uh, look, I mean, Anybody from any walk of life can can have a drug problem, mm. but uh, you know the evidence is is that that poor poverty stricken communities are, are more affected than than than, than affluent communities. It's just, it's obvious. Um, you know when when you look at the you know, when you look at the the, the stats and, and and the areas that are around uh, inner city inner city Dublin North inner city South inner city whatever it might be, but in those poor areas where where you see. Huge devastation uh, caused by drugs, uh, but uh, you know it would be wrong to say that other uh, that people uh, who, who come from uh, middle class, upper middle class backgrounds mm. don't don't develop drug problems. They they do, but but there's just different reasons as to why it happens. Mm. But the end result is is, is very similar, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but yeah, no, I think I think it's a it's a good point. Yeah. There we go. Thank you so much, Tony. Yeah, Duffin. thank you. Okay. Uh, if people want to learn more about Anne Liffey, where can they go? Oh, uh, yes. visit um, aldp.ie. Um, that's the initials of Analyphy Drug Project, aldp.ie. And you can find out more about our services there. Um, in terms of the work we're doing around decriminalisation, uh, we've got a, a hashtag we use called Safer From Harm. Uh, so people can follow that on, on social media. And if you visit saferfromharm.ie, uh, there's a, there's a, uh, you can sign up for a newsletter there and, and get more information about the work we're doing around progressive drug policies. 
There we go. That's Thank great. you so much. Thank you so much, Johnny. Bye, everybody. Bye. Hey, we're back. Hey. Uh, thank you again, Tony Duffin. Yeah, thank you so that much. Was fascinating. It was really interesting. I uh, hope everybody goes out and helps someone. Yeah, Christmas. does something helpful. Yeah. For someone and is a bit more thoughtful about how they perceive other people and in a general way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and listen really to another Pogue song this Christmas as well. Yeah, do just you know diversify a little bit. Yeah. Uh, we do some thank yous. Yeah. Okay. So thank you to D for our work. Thank you, D. Thank you to Headstuff. Thanks, Headstuff. For having us. Uh, listen to some other Headstuff podcasts. Yes. For instance, let's pick something off the wall. Dubland. Yes. Oh, Dubland. Yeah. Or, In the shower. Mm-hmm. With Taz and Marcus. Or Spark and Change with Dill. Yeah. Because she covers stuff like this all the time. Yeah, she's like very social issues. Yeah. People making positive changes in the world. Yep. All that good stuff. You can follow us on every bit of social media. Yeah. We're, we're just, we've got something on all of them. Yeah. We've got an Instagram. It's just Juvenalia Pod, all one word. Twitter, it's Juvenalia underscore pod. And Facebook's like Juvenalia Podcast. If you search Juvenalia, you'll, you'll find, find it. it. Not just many look of us. for the pink square. Yeah. Leave a review. Would yeah. You? Or tell your friends. Yeah. Tweet, tweet about it. That'd be good. Yeah, that'd be good. A little Christmas Just present. we need people to hashtag engage. And that would be great. Yes. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. How are you, Ellen? I'm good. Good. I'm good. I'm looking at my popcorn and I'm really excited to I can to smell your it. popcorn and I'm getting very hungry as well. <laughs> so let's have a quick outro. Bye, everybody. Bye. HPN, the Headstuff Podcast Network. See headstuff.org for more details.